This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Ashram Lux Lucis. Welcome to another episode of On the Record. I am your host, Ashram Lux Lucis, and today we have in the house Sandra D. Robinson. Sandra D., welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Great. So tell us a little bit about uh, who you are. Give us your uh, elevator pitch. Oh, gosh. Well, Well, I mean... It's funny because I'm listening to your previous shows. I'm thinking, well, I, I don't sing, at least not in public. So <laughs> I can check that one off. Avenue. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Um, although I did, I really, that's the thing that I really always wanted to do was be able to sing. And I, I don't actually don't have a bad voice, but it just was never, it was never really open to me. I never had the courage to pursue it, even though I did take seven years of singing lessons trying to get over my fear. It just wow. wasn't where God wanted me to be. Um, but I actually have a background in television. I started um, in a very bizarre way, uh, sort of got quote-unquote discovered in my hometown of Pittsburgh. And um, I started doing commercials and things when I was young and modeling. My first modeling job was I was 11. I was holding a Muppet for like a Walgreens ad. It was very funny. Um, somewhere, I'm going home to empty out my mom's house. I will probably find that. It'll be a good throwback Thursday. But yeah. from, there, um, from there, I ended up through that agent that was sending me out there locally. I met an agent in New York. He brought me up, and I auditioned over a summer where I was supposed to be going to college in the fall and ended up instead packing my bags, going to New York, and working on a show called Another World. So um started on that when I was 17, and all told, I spent nine years on that show spend a lot of time in daytime. So when I run into somebody that says, do I know you? <laughs> you know, they have that kind of look. There's a certain there's a certain thing that they feel like I've been in their house before. I'm like, do you ever watch General Hospital, Another World, Sunset Beach, Full the Beautiful Days of Our Lives? They're like, yes! I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was on those. Um, so I had lead roles on more shows that were actually, that are actually on air now. It's kind of a dying genre, but... Um, the fans were crazy. When I first started, it was just the, the heyday for, for soap operas. And then I got to work on some nighttime shows, and I guest starred in quite a few fun things. really loved the sitcoms that I did, a few movies. But I kept busy. And in our uh, union, as you know, being an artist is really difficult. It's hard to support yourself. A lot of times mm-hmm. it seems like it's not it's not really up to you. It seems like luck plays a big part in it and timing. And so I was very, very lucky to support myself without having to wait tables. I think only because I would be such a horrible waitress that I had to make sure <laughs> that I just managed to get a job every couple of months at the very least. So I was lucky to hop back and forth from from show to show, and I supported myself when you realize that really less than 3% of that union um, makes enough to support themselves. They make 80% of the money that's generated in the industry. So that's really tough. So when people say to me, my daughter wants to be an actress, the first thing is, that's awesome. What else can she do? <laughs> what else can she love? Um, I, I'm glad I did it. It was a great experience. Um, from that, I I did reach the realization one day that I wanted to be more in control. And the choices are producing your own stuff. Um, or 
looking for something that might fulfill you otherwise. And I did consider it, and I still might produce some stuff, but really for me, I wanted to feel like I was able to give back. And while there was some satisfaction with acting, when people would say, I'm such a fan of your show, or you got me through a tough time watching your show, and that's beautiful, but I really wanted to feel a little bit, I wanted to see more, hey, I grew up in television, I like instant gratification, right? So Mm -hmm. I wanted to see somebody in front of me actually going through, you know, something that I could help them with and change. And what was interesting is I got started studying, trying to get over my shyness, actually, because I hid behind characters. I don't think that's very unusual for artists Mm. to be Mm -hmm. rather introverted. Um, Do do you agree? Yeah, ironically, yeah, right? It's like, wait a minute, you're this like crazy extroverted person and normally you're the shy one sitting in the corner, you know? Right, and and people have a different perception because, you know, you get up on on stage and you're singing or you're, you know, writing on a guitar or you're playing drums or you're, you know, you're acting out this crazy character and you're like, well, you must, you're obviously an extrovert. And I was just the opposite. I just had this conversation with, with a partner, a new business partner at lunch. And he looked at me. He's like, what do you mean you're an introvert? Look at you. You're out there on stage all the time. I'm like, I know, but it's, it's, you know, it's, I had to work on that. And that's still, the word introvert just simply means that you get energized from being alone. Mm-hmm. And you get a little yeah. drained when you're out with people. Not that you don't like people. No, I love right. people. I love working with people in large groups, but um, I worked with a group, a couple of, I trained a group, um, because now I'm a charisma coach, and I trained this uh, sales team a couple of days ago. There was 31 of them, and I was with Mm. them all day. I was the only trainer, and I I was knocked out for a full 24 hours. (laughs) (laughs) I woke up the next morning kind of talking talking gibberish. I was like, oh. Yeah. No people today. No people. <laughs> no people. No serious conversations. Do not let me negotiate any big deals today. Not a good yeah. idea. Yeah. But what what I ended up doing was in the process of me actually working so hard to get over that that shyness and the negative beliefs that were so ingrained in me at a very young age, and we can get into that or not. Um, I I ended up learning a lot of different modalities and experiencing a lot of different types of training and really got into even in the past several years. Now it's highly recognized. I didn't know what it was, but um, positive psychology. And I love biopsychology and animals and nature and the study of that and wildlife conservation. And believe it or not, all of this craziness is coming to fruition with the help of me starting my first company called Charisma on Camera, which in essence was designed, was given to me by a coach who I never hired, a business coach hmm. that do what you're doing with uh, some of the television hosts and the hosting that you do, but train experts and female entrepreneurs to be on camera to do their videos for their business. And that was actually what started my my first company, Charisma on Camera. I was just helping people feel like rock stars when they got in front of a video camera for their business. And then it sort of morphed, and now I've been, you know, guest star, you know, guest star things, or what do you call it, guest host things, and and some media, and they seem to make, like to label me Charisma Coach. So I just decided to own it. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> what I do. And I, um, so now I bring that in not just for people that have to be on camera, but I also work with people that even just have to get comfortable with one-on-one presentations, sales teams, um, CEOs, anybody that's going through, um, you know, a stretch in their life that they know, hey, I have to be able to handle this situation. I'm not really comfortable. I feel like a fish out of water. Or they can be absolutely terrified. I've had people come to me that were having nervous breakdowns knowing that they had to get in front of a of a TV camera 
to talk about something that was very important to them. And what I do is just kind of tap people into understanding what their gifts and their strengths were, really connecting with what they are here to do on earth and letting them see, as I put it, most of the time when I can be free with my words, I like to say I help people see themselves more like God sees them and a little Mm -hmm. less through all the veils that we put up on ourselves. Hmm. Because we tend to see this muddled version of us and with that in place, we hold ourselves back. And we yeah. forget about a lot of the a lot of the things that are really the things that, you know, shined in us when we were kids. We dull all that down to be an adult. And mm-hmm. I love to pull that stuff out of people and that's where I get my my feed, you know, my my spiritual oomph is when I see somebody just kinda light up and go, Oh my gosh, I bet I used to I used to be like this and and then see their business and their life start to morph as they sort of own how they were designed to be. It's very cool. And that helps people make the impact in the world that I think we're all here to make. Yeah. Now, is that philosophy, is that something you've kind of had your whole life? Or, you know, back to, back in the day when you were holding that Muppet, were you thinking yeah. thinking that stuff? Or, you know, was it more no, go with oh the God. flow and this kind of evolved over time? How did this no, come about? It, it definitely evolved over time. I think... Putting myself in every, I'm, I'm very hungry to learn, which, um, you know, they, they asked, I, I think is one of the best qualities you can have as a human being. Talk about longevity and happiness and joy, right? Studying po- positive psychology so much and and just being inquisitive and curious. And I'm, that's, I'm most grateful for that part of my personality. And so when I wanted to make myself better at something, I just reached out for everything that was within sight that I could do. You know, um, I got Anthony Robbins tapes, you know, I, I signed up for something called Landmark Forum. And then they said, come join us, teach with us. I'm like, ah, no, it's too cultish. I don't want to do that. But I'm sure grateful to you so much. And I ran the other direction. But, but you know, I really reached out without any, without, and this is the cool thing, reaching out for information. And I didn't have any expectations of what was going to come. And that was maybe just being naive. But I felt like I had so much to learn, and I didn't really worry like the landmark thing, right? Like, <laughs> and I hope nobody doesn't like takes offense at landmarks. They really did. I thought it was an awesome thing, but they do have sort of a cultish way of like, come join us, uh, <laughs> you know? And I kind yeah. of freaked out by that. I was like, I'm a little pretty right now. I'm looking like 22. So I, so I ran. It's like the but Scientologist, to- you know. <laughs> We'll scare you. Yeah. Like, ah. you know, I actually read a lot of the books that Scientology, you know, the, the founder of Scientology developed. That actually made an impact on me. Because he yeah, talked yeah. about the brain. And I'm a brain nerd. And so how does the brain work? I got into a sad, rather ended up being a sad relationship with somebody that was an addict. And I didn't even know what that meant um, until I witnessed it. And, you know, learning experiences, we would call them. These mistake mistake relationships aren't really mistakes. They're learning experiences. Mm-hmm. And through that, I actually decided, okay, what's going on with this guy's brain? I'm going to look that up. And every one of those opportunities I saw as is an opportunity to, to study, to learn, to grow. And the things that I learned about looking at the addict's brain, I then applied to myself. Like, well, what happens when, you know, I react in a negative fashion? And, and I... I just started to really analyze everything that I was doing versus what I wanted to be. And that's not saying I was clear on what I wanted to be at first. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't. Um, I was raised in kind of, and I bet a lot of people listening might have been, raised in kind of a negative environment. My parents did the very best that they could. 
But it, I, my whole area where I grew up isn't like a, hey, rah, rah, life is great. I literally had one of my best friend's parents look at me and go, well, life sucks and then you die. <laughs> I wonder why so many of us wanted to move away. I don't know. Just, like, so, you know. I, if I, if I think I, I knew those same I, people. <laughs> right? I know. I seriously think that, like, creativity comes out of, like, how do I get out of here, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and in a way, it was a, it was a blessing. It was an, I, I have no regrets being raised where I was. Actually, very, very grateful for it. Grateful for the parents that I had. Um, yeah, there were some things. I was a surprise baby, and as a, they would call it a bonus baby to my mom um and she would have rather had the cash back it would have been more desirable for her but um and I was reminded of that on a regular basis so hence that was part of the reason why I said I didn't have much self-esteem I had no value and when I would go behind characters much like I think singers songwriters they they put themselves out and they show themselves vulnerably through their art and then yeah. everything, you know, a lot of times they're more closed off. That's kind of how I was. And and so even when I had this, I got, you know, blessed with this incredible fan following and all of this attention. And and I was able to bring fans to good causes and, and to, you know, even products. They would ask me to represent a product and they would dangle a check in front of me. And not being raised in a wealthy family, I was like, sure, I can do that. I would show up. <laughs> I'd wait for the director to tell me who I was because that was all I knew how to do, Right. Tell me the character name. Tell me what I am, and I'll just become that thing. I'll become that person. And they would look at me and say, oh, sweetie, just be yourself. And everything would go to hell. Yeah. I I don't know what that is. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, if I looked in the file of my brain for anything in that, it was empty. It was less than empty. It, it It had a little stamp of, you know, no value on it. So when I work with people, I find that there are there's nobody that is in a quite as negative mindset as I started with. So the good thing is I started so far down below most of the people that I that I work with that <laughs> I am able to recognize every level of discomfort, avoidance, um, self-denial, self-consciousness. Like anywhere that somebody is, I can usually kind of get a grip on that really quickly. It's made me very empathic. And um, all of that is great. I mean, I think if if God puts a desire in us, because that's to actually guide us. That's our that's our guidance system. Mm-hmm. And if I'm I've been following that a lot lately, and I, I get great gratification out of being able to just kind of sit with somebody and and follow where I think they're going and and help them out of areas that they get stuck. And we do we put ourselves we put our heads in a corner sometimes and and just go, why can't I see the light? Because mm-hmm. you're standing in the same corner that you've been in for, you know, two years now. Let's yeah. turn to the left or the window, you know. It's, mm-hmm. So yeah. it's um, I really, really enjoy what I do, and I do work with such a variety of people, and I get to learn from all of them, from artists to CEOs to doctors, lawyers, believe it or not, um, engineers. Engineers and lawyers, I have to make them warm and, and fuzzy on camera, which is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> In reality, they can be. They've actually been some of my favorite clients, um, which is just the opposite of what you would think, right? But yeah, but they yeah. come to me usually knowing that they are a certain way, and they know they have to be a slightly different way, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I tend 
tend to find ways to help people work with where they are so that they stay authentic to themselves and still are able to, as I say, emotionally connect with their audience or emotionally connect with other people. And um, with the artists that I've worked with, you know, some of them it's actually been, okay, it's great that you're out there singing, but you actually do, if you're making a video, I think you need to look at the camera. And that, believe it or not, has been really hard for some of them. Mm, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I go through the same processes that I did with when I was teaching TV hosts, the same processes that I went through myself, and um, kind of help them just feel good about it, feel great, like it's the best day of their life, and look through that camera straight to who they want to be singing the song to, and, and it works. What's like a number one sort of tip or coaching that you would give them in that situation where they're just like, ah, I don't want to do this? Well, there's so many reasons why somebody would be, ah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> there really are. I mean, it's so hard to say, here's a blanket statement. But one of the things that I would say that's super easy to, it makes sense to everybody, is the the biggest enemy of confidence is self-consciousness. Hmm. So, and it seems super easy when I say it, but it's difficult to learn. The process that I teach is becoming conscious of what you're giving and who you're giving it to and not self-conscious because when you're conscious of self that's when you start thinking my stomach's going crazy I feel the butterflies on my knees are going to start to shake oh I'm just horrible I don't even remember what I'm supposed to say next I don't know the next lyric I don't know you know and then everything builds and we anchor in every negative emotion on top of the other on top of the other and then we freak out and we blank and we do one of the three reactions to fear is or freeze and when mm-hmm. somebody has age right or they forget or they just, you know, freak out, that's our version of freezing. Yeah. And you don't want to get there. So the process that I use really is, first of all, owning everything that you're about. So I talk about stories, the one that's true, that's going to serve you, and the many, many, many that we listen to that do not serve us. Mm-hmm. And stories are are not facts. There are facts, right. and then there is yep. a meaning that we put on the facts. So, mm-hmm. yes, my mother did did not want me. She did not want me. She didn't feel love towards me, but she wasn't, you know, later I find out she didn't really have a capacity for that, even with my brother and sister. When right. I came along 14, 14 years later, I didn't know that at the time. All I knew was my mother doesn't seem to love me. Mm-hmm. And it showed many of displayed that as well. And so my meaning on that was I have no value. Yeah. Compound that with some of the words that were put in my direction, and that pretty much solidified it. But we put meaning on things like, you know, my single girlfriend, well, he didn't call me today. So I guess he's not interested. I guess. I guess. I'm like, okay, hang on. The fact is he didn't call you. There is no other meaning around it unless you put it on there. You know, it's so funny. Yeah. And the guy will call the next day and they're like, oh, my gosh, he was so cool. We're going out on Friday. I'm like, so you panicked yesterday and put yourself in this state for nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing when it comes time to, you know, stepping out of their comfort zone and whether it's talking to a boardroom, getting in front of a camera, getting up on a stage, they do the same thing. They say, I can't do that because, and they build a story around it. And I mm-hmm. do the same thing. I mean, I was in seventh yeah. grade, extremely shy. I was singing in the back of the choir, and the chorus teacher said, I think you need to come up front. I'm going to give you a solo. She heard me singing. I thought since I was in the back, she couldn't hear me. Right? 
to hear me sing. And this is one of the reasons that I have no, that I I can't sing. Actually, this is the number one reason. One of there's two reasons, but something is someone that was that I loved said to me, um, in a way to protect me, but it was said with the wrong words, and I took it the wrong way. And then mm-hmm. this incident. So she pulls me out in seventh grade, and I'm singing of all god awful things a Whitney Houston song. Hey, set the bar high. <laughs> and, only one of the best singers in the history of yeah. <laughs> whatever. Okay. So I'm up there after sing a little solo and I just remember not having a single sound come out of my mouth. Oh no. The music played. Nothing. Oh nothing. no. And then every time after that, and of course I was distraught, right? And then every time after that that I would be told to sing I would picture that, well, I can't because that's going to happen again, which is a story. Mm, yeah. So the first thing that I work with people is let's get your story straight. Make it a blockbuster story. You can rewrite it. You can you can make it with what you want it to be. Like I could sit there and tell you I grew up in a horrible neighborhood. I had horrible parents. Blah, blah, blah. But no, I, we all grow up with things. People are imperfect. We grow up with imperfect people in perfect situations. Make of it what you will. Make it a blockbuster story. And and it's all a growing tool, too. You know, it's all for our benefit. I mean, we put ourselves in that situation. You know, we may not be aware of it at the moment and think, why would I ever do that? But, you know, it's it's the the higher self, higher purpose. Everything happens for a reason. And um before we get yeah, into get the it. same relationships, you know, until we get yeah. it, until, you know, our head gets tired mm-hmm. of being bumped on, you know, God hitting with the two by four going, it's the same relationship you had the last time with a different face. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, What's the common denominator here? Me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So they're all learning opportunities and they're all absolutely wonderful. Even if you had an awful, awful, hideous hideous childhood and I have yeah. talked with some some people you know I first got introduced I'm using horses now in my uh, leadership program training and and hopefully I'll be incorporating more and more of that as I as I move along and the new company by the way is called horse powered consulting charisma on camera is still there horse powered consulting is just the broader version so it it doesn't limit things even the name charisma on camera some people think oh you just work on camera so horsepowered, I can actually spread out a little bit and do a little bit more of what I've already started to do. And um, using those horses, it's 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 very interesting because um, so we're talking about fight, flight, or, or freeze, and and energy, and all of that kind of thing. And I actually had a better segue that I I'm missing at the moment. So, but anyways, we'll get back to that. But I know, right? I'm just so excited. Um, but but. Part, part of that, um, of bringing the horses in, was something that I went through and experienced, uh, oh, that's what it was, that I experienced in in a random meeting with somebody. Random. I mean, this is what I mean by take opportunities that show up if in your heart it feels like it's the right thing to do. I met this woman, long story short, she's like, you need to come meet my friend in Missouri. She works with, with horses and, and helps children that are victims of international child trafficking and child abuse. Mm-hmm. Why would I need to go meet this person? I don't know. But the next thing you know, I'm on a flight with a person I barely know, meeting somebody I've never met in the middle of nowhere of Missouri. <laughs> and I find that my husband goes, where are you going and why are you going? He said, I don't really know, but I got in my gut that I'm supposed to go. So here's the address. If I, if I disappear, at least find me. <laughs> and send someone out for me because I have no idea. And it ended up being beautiful. And I met some people that just had the most unbelievable childhoods that you, it would cru- you would think it would crush a human soul. But mm. this woman 
and, and the way that she works with her, she was one of them. And, and what she does with these girls, they use the strength that, that they had in them, which is what I try to tap into with people, the strength that is already there, mm-hmm. and the strength that allowed them to survive. Mm. Whatever that gift was that allowed them to seek refuge and see themselves as being worthy of something better, that strength now shines in them. And they move on to have incredible lives, and they have an incredible blockbuster story. Now, that said, I used to think when I first started going to people, performance coaches, and they're like, well, honey, what's your story? I used to think, and other people would go, like, we'd go around a room of 30, right? And I would always go last because I was the introvert, so I tried to be last. So I'm looking <laughs> to 29 people, and all these people were like, well, I had an eating disorder, and I got down to you know, 50 pounds and I'm five foot eight. And oh you know, I, I mean, everything was so extreme, right? Yeah. And I was living out of my car for a while, they say, <laughs> and, you know, I, and I was eating out of dumpsters and now I make millions of dollars. I'm like, that's an incredible story. And they get to me and I'm like, I've got nothing. <laughs> I mean, by comparison, you know, I was thinking that I didn't have a story because I didn't have like this incredible drama when in reality, in my life, it sure felt like drama. And in fact, it yeah. was. So mm-hmm. that's the number two thing. We have, a ten- we have a real tendency to compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because even when you have that creative thing, you, you can make your art different and you seek to make your art different, but you sometimes still fall into that same thing of like, well, if they're doing a performance this way or they're doing their video this way, they're talking on camera that way. I guess I should do the same thing because they're mm-hmm. successful in my field and I want to go do that too. It's not bad to model some messaging after somebody else or have somebody as a mentor, but when you try to be someone else, it always shows. Yeah. So my my very first thing is love who you are. Make that story. Love who you are. Come from a really authentic place. If you are a funny person, if you're a goofy person and you happen to be for instance, one of my clients, a young girl, looks really young, too, that went against her, she thought, and she dealt with a lot of executives, older executives in suits, as she described them, and she was a goofy girl. I mean, she, she used to imitate Muppets, ironically, Muppets from back in the company. <laughs> but she, I said, do you make your friends laugh? Because she would let things slip in our sessions together that were really funny, and then she would zip, back, zip, zip herself back into her, you know, I'm going to be in business mode. And she says, yeah, I make my friends laugh, especially when they're depressed, they do this thing. I'm like, what's the thing? And she goes, well, I've become a Muppet. And she had super curly red hair that she threw over her head, and then she had really skinny arms, put them up in the air, and for all intents and purposes, she looked like like animal on Muppets. Awesome. <laughs> I know, right? And I see that, I'm like, oh, my God, girl, you are totally hiding this part of yourself. And she's like, well, I can't go in and, and be this at an executive meeting. I said, you absolutely can, and you should, and you will. <laughs> so I took her out of her suits. And this is what I mean. It applies to everybody in every avenue of your life. And you don't have to be an actor. You don't have to have my background. But, my God, just enjoy everything that you are and be that. And when you think about the people, like, like she ended up wearing dresses and not suits, things she could move her arms in, literally. She mm-hmm. allowed herself to be expressive. And I told her I had conversation openers for her so that we could actually break the pattern of how all the executives network because Mm. everybody walks up. If you've ever gone to a networking event, 
from people. It was one question that everybody asks when you walk into a networking event. What do you do? Yeah. Anybody I work with is not allowed to ever ask that. <laughs> ever. It is like, no, not happening. And the reason is if you ask what do you do, you're asking them what they are so you can put them in a box. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we're being put in a box when we answer it. And so be much more interested in who than what. Mm-hmm. And then what yeah. will come later. It's mm-hmm. really about in, uh, connecting emotionally. Well, when this young, fresh thing walked in with all her Muppetness showing, um, <laughs> she immediately got people talking to her when she owned who she was. And then the next thing you know, people are like, well, what's all the conversation over there? That looks interesting. And she said, Sandy, I didn't even have to walk 10 feet in the door. I talked to everybody in the room. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That is her powerful personal presence. And that's what I teach. So it doesn't mean that you have to walk in like anybody but you. If you are goofy, be goofy. If you are quiet, if you're quiet, be quiet. You can be strong and quiet. So you can still, you just be you. And sometimes it's weird, but sometimes you need someone on the outside of you to be able to tell you what's really shining. We'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. And we're back on the record. How did you get to this place like yourself? How did you kind of coach yourself through all of this? Like I know you mentioned oh, Landmark, Tony Robbins and stuff. Yeah. yeah what are some of the things that, that like specifically well, you would do for yourself? Literally, um, it was kicked off by, like I said, I have to be, be hit over the head by two by four by the above <laughs> until I actually can like see things clearly. So I had a really <laughs> bad place in my life. And I I fell into the industry making money and doing really well, and then all of a sudden I didn't. And to make it really clear, I mean, I was probably at half a million dollars, which isn't bad, uh, half a million dollars a year. And then the next year I made $5,764. Oh, wow. Dollars. And I didn't handle that very well because nobody around me taught me the value of money, which is also another lesson I've been learning. Mm-hmm. Um, changing relationships with people and change relationship with money. But mm-hmm. um, that's a story for another show or another day. But, <laughs> but in that in that painful place where I had I was forced to move and I was living for free on an air mattress in somebody's back, you know, back room who were very gracious to let me live there and it was not a great time. And when in that state of mind I wasn't able to book 
any acting jobs because of walking in with this big sign of desperation on me. Mm-hmm. The second I walked in, you know, please give me the job, please give me the job. And I wasn't walking in like I was what they were looking for. I, and I, the, the next book I'm writing is called The Prize. And it's about walking in like you are the prize for the people that you are. You're the gift. You're the thing that's coming in to like make things better for them. Not in an egotistical way, but just know that you are there. You are the puzzle piece. You are what they're looking for and you're going to make a great fit. I didn't walk in like that. And um, it didn't serve me. And I finally got to the point where the first thing I did was I had somebody say to me, I want you to meet my pastor. And I'd been searching spiritually all over the place. And I'd been, you know, following different things for a while. And then it wasn't a fit. It wasn't a fit. I was really searching, though. So I think if you're searching, God will find you. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. He knows you're looking. And at one point, um, I met a pastor, and he said, so do you want to give your life to Christ? And I sort of like, sure, why not? Nothing else is working. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm not going to tell you a lie. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I think I will. I see the light now. I, I didn't see any light at all. I was like, sure, what the heck, let's, you know. And I swore like a sailor. I mean, I was not. It was quite funny. And I woke up the next day, still on my freaking air mattress on the stinky floor of this back room of this person's home, and I was like, yeah, see, nothing's changed. And, <laughs> but in fact, it had, and slowly, you know, things started to unfold. I started to actually grab for this devotional that was given to me, and before my eyes were even opened, I was pulling the book in front of me because that was, that was the start of my doing a morning ritual and a way to get my mind away from me and onto what I could accomplish in that day, and eventually onto who can I serve in that day? How can I be a better friend? How can I be a better, you know, actor? How can I be, uh, at some point, I got to be a, a better teacher to these kids that want to learn how to teach host on TV. And I got a job working in a TV hosting facility. I even got a, at one point, I left and got a job job, which I'd never done. Wow. I was an outside sales rep. And the blessing in that, I hated the job, but the blessing was (laughs) I proved to myself that I could do something other than act. Mm. I made six figures my first year. I worked my butt off because I didn't want to go back to where I was financially. So I I worked really, really hard. And I eventually left that. I literally got a phone call and, and I got a job on a TV show that was offered to me without an audition. He said, would you take it? And I was doing the sales job and I was doing the TV show at the same time which was really interesting but when <laughs> and, and at that point though it got really clear I knew you follow your heart you know okay my heart's telling me I don't need to be in this position anymore so I think that happens with relationships it happens with jobs um, spoke to a, a, a wonderful old client now good good friend of mine this morning very well employed on a network for a long time and she said to me this morning she's like I feel it like in my heart it's time for me to go and she's going to follow that, you know. And some people would look at that and go, oh, my gosh, you're crazy. Michelle Geeland, I interviewed um, for a 24-hour live stream on happiness. And Michelle Geeland and her husband, Sean Acor, are really involved in the positive and happiness movement and, and re- positive you know, psychology and things. And she had an incredible job at CNN. And she got the same thing. She's like, it's not suiting my spirit. It's not the way I want to be. It's not what I want to be putting out there into the world. I remember mm-hmm. I said, the biggest enemy of confidence is self-consciousness. So she was very conscious of herself at that point, and I'm not doing what I feel is right. It was an inauthentic. Yeah. She felt inauthentic, mm-hmm. and she left what some people would think was a dream job. But she is 
super happy now and doing really well with her with her new platform. And of course, Sean Aker, her husband, is doing amazing. Well, he spoke at the E Women Conference. That yeah, know, he I, was awesome. Same yeah. with you. Yeah. So I really think that across the board, following that that thing inside, but you can't be in touch with that if you have all the negative stuff on top of it. It's really yeah. hard. It's really yeah. hard. And so that that presence, that being solid with yourself, true with your story, not allowing yourself to really be anybody but you. And like I said, it takes it takes some coaching sometimes from the outside to tell you who you are, to tell you, hey, mm-hmm. this is what makes you shine because you can't see it for yourself. As Brown says, you can't see yourself if you're in the you can't see the picture if you're in the frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Back so, in the oh, acting you, days, yeah. No, no, no. I was just gonna say it, I ended up doing performance coach. Like I got, I tell when I first started speaking, I said I did 13 different coaches and seven years of pursuing performance coaches and learning how to present before I had a breakthrough and realized that the biggest work was coming not only from performance coaches that told me how to do my performances, but actually from the work I was doing for myself. So it was finding me and then letting that shine. So that's one of the reasons that I teach what I teach and I get the results so quickly because I, I know what the underlying foundation has to be. And I didn't learn that in my world, in my life, until I'd done all these years of performance coaching. And for me, the foundation has to be set in you in the performer, in the speaker, in the presenter, before you step forward and try to share that. So you were being coached by performance coaches. Oh heck yeah! Or, or you, I, okay. Thought, yeah. 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 And some yeah. some made a difference and some did not. I mean, there were some yeah. that are on my resume that people go, "Oh my God, you study with so and so." I'm like, "Yeah, it did nothing for me, but glad this is this impressive too." <laughs> uh, Totally. I mean, you've, you've, come on, you've performed enough. I'm sure that you've, you've met or you've worked with some coaches that you're like, yeah, just not a hit with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Work for other, other people, but just not, not what you needed. And so I do think you have to, you have to find your way around. I always make sure that when I, before I work with anybody, I do what I, I named, I had to give it a name. I felt I called it a discovery call, but it's really, you know, how are we aligned? Uh, would we be a good fit? And there have been one or two, not a lot, but there have been one or two that I'm like, you know, maybe you need to seek somebody a little different before you work with me. And that's a good thing because I don't want to take on, I like to have success and I want to make sure that it's a good fit before I work with anybody. And um, so it, it's it's fine. I, I would rather spend that extra conversation than just take somebody's money and sign them up. And I know a lot of coaches don't do that but yeah you were talking you asked them sorry sorry you asked me about the the acting days yeah i was gonna say was there a mentor or mentors who really um kind of guided you through those early days of of um you know when you're you know uncertain of what was going on with everything yeah my man my manager the same guy that met me when i was in pittsburgh and he's such a character. And probably anybody that watches the Oscars has seen him because he shows up. I introduced him to somebody that I was in pageants with. I, that's bizarre that I made a little excursion into pageantry. Um, and ended up going <laughs> to the USA. It was Miss Teen All, well, runner-up to Miss Teen All-American. And Miss Teen All-American that year, the one that I was the runner-up for, actually was the person that I introduced to Vince, our manager. 
And we both went to the Miss USA pageant. And after the Miss USA pageant, he came to me and he said, I need a girl. And he described what he needed. And I looked at him like, I know who you need. She's in Ohio. Here's her pageant coordinator. Give her a call. And it was Halle Berry. So Halle oh, wow. and I and Reuben Hudson and Julie Benz, all of us have been with Vincent for, I don't know, I was 17, so it's been like forever. Wow. And um, we're still with him. And I think in the beginning, he he was what I relied on completely. Because I, I went up to New York City. I knew no one. I'd never been out of my small town. And now I'm living in Manhattan, wearing my white my white granny boots and, and my white skirt in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it winter? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God! Nice getting all the dirty snow all over your whiteness. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember trying to clean those granny boots and, and then like realizing, hey, everybody's just in black. There is a reason. Yeah. <laughs> It was a little slow. Yeah. <laughs> but find I think finding a, a manager that um I I trusted as a person, which was huge at that time. And then on occasion, you know, I even had some people that I worked with that were awesome. There was a woman that played my grandmother on the very first show that I worked on. And she was considered to be kind of crotchety. She swore like a sailor. Oh my god. And it's funny because her <laughs> character was like the sweet grandma, right? And in real life she would just pour a letter everybody if things were going slow. She's like, nothing ever changes but the date. What's the matter with you people? Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> people would say, it's just the sweetest thing. I'm like, uh-huh. You know, but she was sweet to me. She would, my, my dressing room was next door to hers, and she would pull me in and put me under her wing and have a little conversation with me about life, you know. And then she was just so adorable. And I I just, I loved when people would take the time to to talk to me because I didn't, you know, I, my dad worked an awful lot, adored him, I, and he adored me. I just didn't get to see him, spend that much time with him. And uh, and my mom, of course, never spent time with me. So to have somebody, especially a woman, sit down and say, sit down, I want to talk to you. Like, wow. You know, I just took everything in. And she had been in the industry for so long. She'd been working since the cameras were on tripods. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So there were definitely people along the way that that um, made a huge impression on me. And ironically, there's really only one acting coach out of all those years that, and it's funny because he was brutal, but he woke me up out of a pattern of work that I've been doing that wasn't going to serve me for much longer. So he stretched me. And sometimes, you know, it's that getting out of the comfort zone. And he he pushed me to that. Um, and, and that work-wise was really good. I remember being very, very hurt on a couple of days and thinking, okay, I'm strong enough to get through this, but it was tough. I mean, I'd go home in tears because he would be quite insulting. But like, how was he insulting? Was he insulting like in your technique or? Yeah. Yeah. He would say, um, he felt that I, he goes, what do you want to be the aging pretty girl? And at this point I was like 35 which oh, is the wow. point where things start to kind of fall apart for a female. Yeah. Works yeah. In the industry. yeah. True. <laughs> it's like suddenly I'm, I'm 35 and I'm reading for, um, <laughs> for grandmother 45. parts. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading for 45 yeah. and I'm like, I'm 35. They're like, well, you know, the girl that they hired to play your best friend is, is 35. I'm like, what? So yeah, 
so it, I was really feeling out of sorts. And yeah, he, I remember him saying to me, you know, like just yelling at me and just going, what do you want to be the aging pretty girl? You know, basically do the work, get ugly, you know, and, and, and I was doing that cause I was afraid. It was still a big part of me that was that introvert that was afraid to, to show cause a really good actor doesn't hide behind the character. They become the character. Hmm. And that's the point that I had to, that's the point I had to hit. And, hmm. and I did it. And when I did it, my work definitely got much, much better, but it also was a lot scarier for me. And I think that was the point where I started to say, would I die if I couldn't do this job? Hmm. What do I love about it? What do I not love about it? What do I want to accomplish with my life? You know, what is important to me? And I started to really do that kind of work. And I thought, you know, I love what acting has done for me. And it's great fun. And there are definitely days that I miss it. But I had that sense that I wanted to do something that I felt like I could give back more and be a little more in control. And so for me, um, I love what I'm doing now. I love it. And if I want to work with artists, I can work with artists. You know, I can yeah. I can be surrounded by it, and and I enjoy. I thoroughly now can enjoy uh, actors that are just amazing. I went to go see Ricky and the Flash the other day, and yeah, you know, I want to see that. Yeah, Meryl Streep's amazing. Oh my god! I mean, talk about becoming the character. It's just crazy. And and then I worked with Rick Springfield on one of his shows. Oh wow! Shows. It was, yeah, it was very bizarre. Yeah, it was really hard for me to get over the fact that it was Rick Springfield up there, but. Yeah. Um, but he did a great job. It was it was really it was really fun. And watching somebody like Meryl Streep, I just step back and I go, that I could never be that, and I'm cool with that. I'm good yeah. with that. Yeah, I'm really good with that. I respect it, and it's awesome, and I I appreciate the work that goes into it. And I'm all right that I didn't go further. Yeah, I'm good. Talk a little bit about um, becoming the character, because like, you know, it sounds like you you are probably familiar with things like mirror neurons and, yeah. you know, you probably have an understanding that the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. So when Believe you're not, becoming, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so when you're becoming that character, did you find like if maybe it was um, a negative character or whatever um, that that carried over into your personal life? And what did you oh, do? Not only would it, yeah, not only would it carry over my, it had to carry over my personal life because your body doesn't know the difference. And yeah. uh, I would, you know, my face would break out. Um, I would, you would have physical symptoms of illness if you were playing that. I mean, mm. I would. That actually was one of the main reasons why I said, I'm okay not doing this because I realized yeah. that I valued my health and my body enormously because you're only given one. Yeah. And I'm like, I need, I felt the need that I, I need, I have an impact. I didn't really know what it was, but that I know that I have an impact that I am here on this earth to make and I need my body to be able to do it. And I think it's time for me to, to be okay with not going further with really going a lot further with the acting thing. And that was why I could see what it was doing to my body. I even worked with, it occurred to me years, years before I had worked with a woman who was pregnant. And she was in a soap with us, and um, they wrote into, I thought this was really unbelievably insensitive, they wrote into her storyline that she would lose the baby. Oh, my God. Her character was pregnant, and she was pregnant. Wow. And she walked in, and she said, I will take my maternity leave now, because if you want this storyline to happen, I am not doing it. Yeah. 
I'm not putting my body through that. I am not putting my baby through that. I refuse to do this. And I think they did. I think that they they had someone else come and, and do the role. But that was my first wake-up before I even had studied the brain or anything like that. I, re- I remember noticing that and thinking, well, what's that all about? You know, I think I was always like 18 at the time. It's like, what's that all about? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then as I got older, I realized it was happening to me in, you know, in certain ways. And, yes, if you see people like Daniel Day-Lewis, I think one of the last awards that he won, he thanked his wife and he always says that, like, God bless her, she has lived with so many different men, meaning mm, he transforms yeah. himself, and he goes home as mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln. He goes home as yeah. like all these people, right? Yeah, and yeah. He, but he's amazing to watch, but at what cost? For me, yeah. the cost is too high. Yeah. It's too high for me. Yeah. Um, I have other things to that I need this tool of my body for, and I want to keep it as healthy as possible. So... Yeah, yeah, but it but it is amazing, and it's also the same reason people say uh, I do a talk about how to get along with difficult co-stars, and <laughs> meaning like, <laughs> you know, and and that always gets a chuckle, you know, and I'm like, if you work, I do this actually. I I've spoken to some groups of like government employees, and it's continuing education for them, you know, so they kind of have to be there, and so yeah. I try to liven it up for them, you know, and I come in, I do my talk along with a few other speakers. <laughs> And it's it's very funny. I'm like, you guys ever work with people that like really get on your nerves? And you know, usually these people are abused at work. They just feel, and you yeah. know, you go around you go around the room. And you're like, so what are you looking forward to? They're like, vacation, day off, <laughs> yeah. Friday, Saturday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> five o'clock Friday. I'm looking forward to that. That's what I'm looking yep. forward to. I'm like, okay, all right, got it. So I got up there. And I'm like, so you guys ever feel like you're abused? You got some people that are tough. They're like, yeah. I was like, well, imagine my job. I said, not only did I have to get along with people, but I had to actually say the words, I want you to make love to me and let them kiss me. When inside, I'm going, ah! <laughs> 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 you leavens them up a little bit, you know? And I, and I talk about having to have conversations with people. I actually ended up booking some jobs in, in TV shows as love interest because I could get along with difficult people, and the producers knew that. Oh, wow. Now, that's something you wouldn't expect. Yeah. But I literally, the last time that that happened, the producer, I worked one day, and it was a woman that was part of a storyline that I was in. And um, and I, he walked on the first day that I was on set with her, he, and, you know, we're wrapped for the day, everybody's walking out, the producer's walking alongside, and he goes, so, how'd it go? I kind of chuckled to myself, and I looked at him, and I go, is she always like that? And he goes, Yep. <laughs> and then the next thing out of his mouth was, "You can handle that, right?" Yeah, I can handle that. And not only did I handle it, but I actually ended up like really liking her. She was she was difficult. I ended up really liking her because I, I just managed to see. You, you just have to look at people you don't get along with and find the thing in them that you can love. And there is something yeah. in everyone. Yeah, there's something. Yeah. You know, and just hold on to that thing. And it's really, that's why it's when you have somebody, if you're working in a movie, you see some of these actors that like, you know, hook up during the movie. It's because they're both probably gorgeous and they get along like, what can I love about you? I love everything about you. And they end up having an affair and, you know, that's kind of what happens. But when you have somebody that's difficult in your life in real life, that's the only way that you can do it. If you, ha- Especially if you have to perform with somebody. And you, you've got to sit down, have conversations, and find the conversations that are the trigger points. Don't have those. Like, if yeah. you politically, 
or yeah. religion or like any of those. Just like if you if you have dogs in common, stick to dogs. Yeah. <laughs> but start small, you know, and work your way up. Um, yeah. I have literally started conversations talking about uh, candy and no joke. One guy wow. that was going through a really tough time in his life, and he only could t- he wouldn't talk to adults. And I had plays love interest. He wasn't talking to adults. He would only talk to children, and he would and and talk to dogs. Seriously. Wow. And I ended up showing up with a lollipop in my mouth for the rehearsal. Huh. And I acted I acted really kind of goofy and childlike, and he sort of livened up a little bit. And I offered him a lollipop, and he sort of laughed and like, "Okay, you want M Ms? What do you want?" Like, seriously. <laughs> It was the yeah. icebreaker, and it yeah. was. Yeah. You got to find something, and in the end, he actually was just a big kid that was really hurting because he, he wasn't in a position, or he wasn't. He was a performer, and he was not performing the way he wanted to. He was mm. being, you know, he's working on something that really he thought held him back, and he was very depressed. Yeah. So I could see that, you know, and um, and you just kind of learn to to find those things in people. It makes your work like life a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're creative and you have to create something with somebody, you're not going to do it if you're butting heads. So, no, not at all. Yeah, right. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back on the record. Well, Sandra D., we are kind of nearing the end here. It's been absolutely fabulous. <laughs> I don't even know if you can expand on this, but I usually ask people to give a final words of wisdom. Uh, you know, if you've got more wisdom in you than we've already heard, then lay it on us. <laughs> oh, I just, I just think if ever, just follow your, follow your gut. And follow your desire because I truly think that you will, if you trust that, that you will be led where you're supposed to be. And I know that getting out of your comfort zone, whether it's stepping into a venue you haven't done or leaving somewhere that you've been a long time, to just think, you know, really tap into that. I, be, I still believe in the morning rituals, just getting in touch with yourself, what you want, what you want out of the day. Um, you know, for me, it's getting in touch with God, being grateful and starting your day like that and letting things just sort of lead you. Um, instead of being a pinball that's being knocked around, just really be purposeful and yet still listen for that still small voice that's going to tell you, yeah, it's time to do this and step forward and do it because I do think everybody's here to make an impact and, and I think um, I think everybody is perfectly qualified to do that. 
Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week. Between